0: DBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to the Friday, March 26th edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, so very glad to have all of you with us. I, I want to start very quickly by saying, I know there are any number of you out there in our listening audience who were hit hard by storms that came through uh, overnight and affected parts of uh, certainly Metro Atlanta got hit hard. And uh, so did uh, areas around Noonan. Noonan apparently was hit by a big tornado and there's a lot of damage down there. Um, I'm told by our panelists today, and I'll introduce him in a minute, that Savannah was OK. Columbus was OK glad to hear that. Um, but for those of you who are struggling with power outages, trees down, uh, we're thinking about you today and hope that everybody stays as safe as you possibly can. Um, I, I want, the news today is really a little bit difficult to digest, and I'm looking forward to talking with a, an all-star panel of journalists who represent news organizations from across the state. It feels in a way like we've hit an inflection point. In Georgia to me today yesterday the General Assembly on purely partisan lines passed a comprehensive uh, election bill that has been the subject of white hot controversy the entire session and um, as an indication I think it's fair to say of his understanding that this bill continued to stir up enormous controversy and there'd be pressure on the governor's office Uh, If he didn't act quickly, the governor signed the bill an hour after it was passed by the General Assembly. That doesn't happen very often these days. Um, But disturbingly, in the middle of all this, Representative Park Cannon tried knocking on the governor's door. They kept the office, the governor's ceremonial office, closed for the ceremony, although it was streamed live, I have to say, for uh, various web platforms. Um, And Park Cannon was arrested. She was hauled off an African-American member of the State House. The picture is terribly disturbing. She's being led away by two, at one point three, white state troopers. And it conjures up some of the worst images of the dark past of Georgia history. I want to play very quickly before I introduce the panel. The sound that was captured while Park Cannon was trying, was knocking on the door. We are told rather politely, you can see she's kind of lightly knocking on the governor's door to get in, and um, you'll hear what happens as the troopers uh, come up to her.
0: Our governor is signing a bill that affects all Georgians, and you're going to arrest an elected representative. Why does the governor have more power than than a representative?
2: Why are you arresting her? That's what I'm asking. Stop arresting her. Why are you arresting her? Cite the violation.
0: Cite the code. What is she in violation of? I want you to cite the code.
1: So you're hearing the voice of one of several protesters who were there uh, and watched uh, Park Cannon being led away. Um, so we have very mixed news today that um, we'll get to with our... Important panel starting with Patricia Murphy who is of course my partner on the Friday political rewind she is a political reporter and the uh, political columnist at the AJC you read her columns on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper and of course Patricia you oversee the political insider blog the jolt uh, on AJC.com every day Patricia you got hit by the storm you're without power this morning
2: Yes, I'm without power, and my sister was nice enough to be my port in the storm. So I'm at her house, um, <laughs> yeah, well, calling in with plenty of coffee and electricity. So thank you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for being with us under somewhat difficult circumstances. Um, Donna Lowry, host of Lawmakers on GPB TV, is back with us again today. Donna, thank you for being here.
0: I'm glad to be here, Bill.
1: It's a Brain good grain morning. Of cash. <laughs> Raina Cash, executive editor of the Savannah morning, morning News, joins us from Savannah. And I was glad to hear, Raina, that you've had pretty good weather all week. Um, that, that That's uh, good news. But thank you for joining us for the show, Raina.
0: Thank you, Bill. Looking forward to the conversation this morning. There's a lot to talk about.
1: There sure is. Uh, Chuck Williams uh, is the, uh political reporter. Uh, I'm actually a uh, uh, Chuck. I think they don't give you political reporter. That means they can send you to fires if they mm-hmm. have to. <laughs> I think at WRBL TV in Columbus. Uh, but Chuck, I said political reporter because you've been around for a very long time. First in print now in TV and you know, politics in this state as well as any other reporter possibly could. How are you, Chuck? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, Patricia, let me start with you, Uh, and let's talk first about the rush that Governor Kemp uh, uh, made in getting this uh, sweeping election bill signed into law. Um, As I said a minute ago, we don't see a governor sign a bill quite that quickly, and I think it makes a point, doesn't it, that he just doesn't want the pressure from opposing groups to continue to build.
2: That's right. Uh, we, it actually had been telegraphed to us that this bill um, would not probably not be complete until next week, right before Signy die. Um, it moved very quickly through the legislature yesterday, um, which was unexpected, actually. And uh, then we heard very quickly that the governor would be signing it within the hour To me, what was as important as the timing, which was very rushed, was that uh, the governor, this entire time in this session, has been signing bills out in the large atrium inside the Capitol, Mm -hmm. so that large crowds could come gather and watch, and lots of press could be there. And yesterday, uh, they decided to have him sign it in his office, which is small, quite private, doesn't fit a lot of people. Um, That certainly would have protected him from the screams of protesters because there were protesters down there within their rights to protest this bill. Um, But it really, the visual uh, became uh, him, the uh, six white legislators with him, all Republican men, and uh, then uh, the African-American representative being arrested at his door, trying to uh, get in to see the bill signing. And to me, Um, It just was a just a a visual debacle and sent so many more messages about this bill and its process than I than I know were intended by the governor.
1: Donna, I think lawmakers, uh, you were you had a report from the Capitol just very shortly after the Park Cannon arrest. You had a live report from down there, right?
0: Yeah, that's right, because we were we were you know, we go on live at seven. And prior to that. We knew that the signing was going to take place at 6, and it was moved to 6.30. So we were constantly trying to figure out how we were going to get it into the show. And so we were fortunate enough to have a reporter, because we have one live there, to watch everything and she was able brenda waters was able to give us an idea of what was going on i, I think the, the interesting thing for me is there was so much emotion at the capitol yesterday there was it was so passionate everybody um, throughout the day i had people coming up to me who were democrats who wanted to talk to be interviewed that kind of thing so given the emotion it was it's surprising that the governor decided that it was a good day to sign this bill. I think it would have been better to wait until some of the emotions had tamped down a bit before going for something like this. I get the idea that it was it's a big deal to the, the base for the Republican Party to send out this message, you know, look at what we've done, this major bill. But given that, even the putting it into the ceremonial room and not putting it on the south wing steps where he usually signs, things publicly. Um, I, I think they they didn't recognize that it was just an emotional day. It was too big to do it and that it would have been better to wait a few days to kind of take their victory lap on this. And um, and maybe we wouldn't have seen what happened because what happened with Representative Cannon overshadowed for a lot of people the good that, may, that he was maybe trying to, come, uh, to have happen because he was signing this major bill that they had been pushing so hard for. So I, I thought that was kind of an interesting decision by the governor's office to go ahead and have that happen on such an emotional day.
1: Raina, as as we all know, um, opponents of this measure have, have have said all along they believe it's an effort to suppress minority votes, uh, African-American votes particularly. They've called this Jim Crow 2.0 uh, as they've fought the measure. And so um, we now have a situation where a state legislator who happens to be African-American is arrested. I think at this moment, unless there's some change that I haven't seen, she's charged with two felonies uh, for her efforts to get into uh, the governor's office. Give us your thoughts on what, what, you, what you see when you watched, saw when you watched this all unfold.
0: Uh, my mind goes back to um civil rights period it goes back to um you know people being arrested for trying to stand up for folks they represented for things they believed in um there's there's something about that visual that stands out to you we could have read about it we could have heard it um we could have listened to to it on the radio uh, but it would not have had the same effect as actually um, someone capturing that and being able to to see it in front of you uh, It's stirring, and um, I, I think even for those perhaps for whatever reason who had not been paying as close of attention, uh, that sort of moment um, is is galvanizing and polarizing depending on uh, you know what side you're you're on uh, but the the racial dynamics uh, of that were uh, not racist but racial dynamics of that uh, were hard to uh, was hard to um, deny um, and and so I think it will stick with people uh, for quite some time and uh, the country is is paying attention now if if it was not already
1: Chuck um, am I being overly dramatic when I say this felt like an inflection point It feels like a moment in Georgia history where on one hand, the governor rushes to sign a measure which many people believe is going to potentially suppress minority voters. And at the same time, we see an arrest like this unfold that takes us back to the bad old days. Um, it, it, am I over overdramatizing over dramatizing to say this is a moment of uh, Bill, you know, real crisis in I, the state?
3: Bill, I'm not sure how to answer that, but I can tell you from a reporting standpoint, we've been covering a drama for many, many months. So... Whether you're being overdramatic, probably not. But I want to go back to what Patricia said a minute ago, and the other, other two have alluded to it. Visual debacle. Optics matter. Images matter. This was a visual debacle. I don't care what anybody says. When you take what happened with the arrest and couple it with the tweet of Governor Kemp signing the bill with six white lawmakers behind him, those you can't not put those two images side by side and look at them and you know I know I heard somebody today who's a fairly middle of the road person say what they're doing now is they are driving people in the middle to the left when people are seeing this, particularly highly educated people who are watching and paying attention. And I thought that was an interesting comment this morning.
1: Uh, Patricia, I want to uh, talk more about this. I want to listen, though, to just a couple of uh, sentences uh, from uh, the governor's uh, uh, remarks as he prepared to sign the bill and have you uh, respond or react to what you hear. Let's listen to Governor Kemp.
3: And after the November election last year, I knew, like so many of you, that significant reforms to our state elections were needed. There's no doubt there were many alarming issues with how the election was handled, and those problems understandably led to the crisis of confidence in the ballot box here in Georgia.
1: Patricia, I think all of us who followed this election so closely watched three separate recounts of the votes here would um, have a legitimate reason to wonder what the governor is talking about when he talks about the significant problems that the election revealed.
2: Also, um, after he said that, I really did have to go back and read everything that he said during the count and recount and certification and recertification um, when he stood by those results. And uh, it just was a very, literally in my mind, I was like, is this the first I'm hearing that you were bothered by the election? Uh, it, It was a much more vocal condemnation of the election process than I had ever heard him give before. Um, And when he talks about a crisis of confidence, that is not a widespread crisis of confidence. That is a crisis of confidence concentrated among GOP primary voters because of Donald Trump and because he accused uh, Brian Kemp, among others, of rigging the election against him. And so um, the governor... had is in this incredibly difficult political position um, to, uh, to try and set himself up well for a primary in 2022, um, when we know we'll get a challenge, um, but then also to lead the state and it's, and to lead it in a way that's, that's, that doesn't seem overtly partisan. Um, this to me was just a collision of those two. And he certainly, I think yesterday in his remarks, chose to, to side with the Republican primary voters who wanted to hear that message from him and, but they still are mad at him anyway.
1: I apologize for uh, interrupting. I, you know, Chuck, I, I, I do think this is really something interesting to talk about. I mean, we have to say governor Kemp fought the good fight against president Trump back in the day when Trump was declaring that the Georgia election was fraudulent, that Biden didn't really win it. And Kemp stood his ground and said, no, the election was fair and honest. And of course, has incurred Trump's uh, wrath, probably continuing on into his reelection campaign. Um, And yet the statements that he made in the signing ceremony were, as Patricia points out, all fodder for the Trump base. You you say fought the good fight. I would... I would argue or counter
3: that uh, Governor Kemp is still fighting President Trump and will be fighting him well into the 2022 election cycle. And I think that's what this was all about, was the 2022 Republican primary. Every single bit of it was. And, you know, I mean, you look at what, you look at where Governor Kemp stood, you know, during the count. I mean, he stood essentially side by side with Secretary Raffensperger and, you know, and would not, you know, there was no proof of fraud and said as such. But I think what you saw was the start of the 2022 Republican primary at that bill signing.
0: Um, yeah, I, I would agree with uh, with Chuck there and, and add, I'm, I'm curious to see, there were so many Republicans who were disillusioned by, by Donald Trump. Um, so much so that perhaps they didn't come out to vote or, you know, the the chance that they may have voted uh, on the Democratic side. And seeing as we've seen no evidence of widespread fraud that uh, the governor hinted at yesterday or problems or concerns uh, in the election, it's by leaning more into that, whether it just further disillusions those who are already in that camp, uh, to Chuck's Chuck's point, those who were in the middle. um, And I'm curious to know whether this is going to do more harm than good in 2022. And here in uh, Savannah... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, no, no. Finish, please.
0: No, I was going to say in Savannah, um, for the uh, lieutenant uh, Lieutenant governor's position, uh, Gene Seaver... Who was a um, who campaigned for for Kemp and has been um, strong in in Donald Trump's corner? Then uh, has now already announced that she's going to challenge Jeff Duncan for the lieutenant governor's position, and um, you know she's taking a, a and has always been on the far far right. Um, but I just wonder which of these two, the moderate Republicans, if you will, or the uh, the, the hard, right-leaning Republicans um, will be the ones that we see come out in
1: 2022. Yeah, uh, good points. Um, Donna and then Patricia, uh, Here, I, I have to say, Donna, I was surprised this morning when I looked to see whether the governor's office had a statement responding to the Park Cannon uh, arrest. I, I mean, this happened in the early evening last night. Uh, they obviously – a, they're a smart group of people in the office. They are certainly aware of the tremendous impact the arrest of an African-American woman uh, was going to have. And yet I haven't seen anything that allowed them to insert a different feeling into the news cycle this morning. They're, they're not saying – number one, they're not pointing out that it is illegal – to arrest a, a, a member of the legislature during the session except under extraordinary circumstances. So right there, there was a violation of law, and Akema Williams went through the same thing a couple of years ago when she as a state senator was arrested. But the governor's office has had an opportunity to make some statements saying this is horrible, we would never support, they've said nothing to the best of my knowledge.
0: Yeah, No, we haven't heard anything, and uh, I think the optics are not good on that. Uh, especially, think we've got to remember first of all that this is a governor who used to be secretary of state. So, um to to take this victory lap so publicly yesterday, and then to have something happen with um, a member of the general assembly while the session is going on to be arrested in, in a way that we we don't know what happened before. A lot of the video I saw was her knocking on the door and and, and yelling, uh, but. It didn't seem like it was such a a, a felony, certainly not, and and such an an egregious crime, like for the the state patrol to actually um, arrest her, put her in handcuffs, and take her away as people are watching. There are cameras everywhere. People have their phones out, and she's going through the door, and she's going outside, the whole thing. And to remember that, you know, again, that this is a a person who— is signing a bill about changing laws that he was very supportive of as the Secretary of State and then, again, during the election cycle, defended them, defended his, the policies and all, and yet made this public, um, wanted to make sure that there was a ceremonial signing to, to try to get to the base that they had been um, missing. Um, they did part of the base, the those who are follow. Trump, who have not been happy with him along the way. Um, it was obvious that it was meant
2: for them. Patricia? You know, well, Bill, you mentioned um, looking for something from him this morning. I really was waiting for something um, last night and yesterday evening um, to either say, I had no idea what was happening outside. This literally interrupted the signing ceremony. So he knew something had happened. Um, And I was waiting for an explanation to say I had no idea if I had known I would have done something different. Um, I actually was wondering if he might go bail her out or do some sort of olive branch or some sort of um, some sort of outreach to to connote to her and to other legislators. I had I would never let this happen had I known. Um, But his silence lets people interpret his intentions, any number of ways, and to to see him in person, he's really a a, a low key kind of straight shooter. And I, I this the silence now is surprising, especially because of that.
1: Um, well, we'll wait. We'll wait to see uh, whether uh, in the hours ahead we get any word from the governor or his uh, a statement from his office. But but. Um, You're right, Patricia. In the meantime, it allows us to interpret the silence in any way we want to, including uh, interpreting it as a sign that he wants to send a message, although it really is hard to imagine, Chuck, that the governor sees that there's really a win in not speaking out about the arrest of an African-American legislator. I
3: mean, who knows where this is going? I mean, you know— I agree with uh Patricia's assessment of Governor Kemp. He is a low key straight shooter that's been my that's been my take on him covering him since he was Secretary of State. but you know it's just I don't know what happens here now. I mean, what do they come out and say? I mean, what does his press office put out now I mean you know this is there's so many constituencies that are impacted by this. You've got people who think they're being disenfranchised and can argue very effectively that they are being disenfranchised. You have people who don't think this bill went far enough that think there should have been more restrictions on absentee balloting. So, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what they say today because, you know, this is the ultimate no-win situation for the governor.
1: All right. Um, let's do this let's get a break out of the way and then after talking about the drama of last night why don't we turn and talk about what in fact of the um uh, many measures that were on the table in terms of election law changes what actually uh passed and was signed into law by the governor we'll do that when we return with more on political
2: rewind thanks for listening to political rewind if you like this show you'll also like georgia today
1: Donna Lowry, host of Lawmakers, Raina Cash, executive editor of the Savannah Morning News, Chuck Williams of WRBL-TV in Columbus, and Patricia Murphy, political reporter and a political insider columnist at the AJC, are with me today. I want to talk about uh, just a couple of the uh, measures that came out of uh, yesterday's session, the surprise uh, uh, passage of the bill when people weren't expecting it until next week, as Patricia Murphy mentioned earlier, and then the governor signing it quickly. But before we do that, um, President Biden, of course, held his first news conference yesterday, and he was asked about Republican efforts across the country in legislatures to change voting laws uh Democrats believe to suppress minority voters. Let's listen to just a little of what the president had to say. Speaking of Georgia and all the other states involved in this effort.
3: What I'm worried about is how un-American this whole initiative is. It's sick. It's sick. Because it is the most pernicious thing. This makes Jim Crow look like Jim Eagle. I mean, this is gigantic, what they're trying to do. And it cannot be sustained.
1: President Biden. By the way, I've had several of you write me saying, "What was? What is Jim Eagle?" And I think, frankly, it's not. I think what it really was is uh, Biden reaching to say Jim Crow equals evil, Eagle equals good. I, I don't. There's no Jim Eagle out there that any <laughs> of us is aware of. I, I don't think, Patricia. So we'll talk about the specific measures, but but. It is interesting that earlier this week, the New York Times published a piece uh, in which they revealed that the political arm of the Heritage Foundation, uh, one of the real conservative think tanks in this country responsible for a lot of very, very conservative uh, legislation, uh, they were advising states like Georgia. They they had people in Georgia helping them draft uh, these measures.
2: They did. And yesterday in the jolt, uh, we actually pulled out uh, the specifics of the heritage document and the way that it lines up with the legislation and everything that we have heard for the legislative session was really Um, obviously not coincidental, and it was really uncanny and extremely familiar to anybody who's been watching. Um, So in the Heritage document, and Heritage is the conservative think tank based in Washington, D.C., they recommended uh, eliminate no-excuse absentee voting, which had been a big proposal that came out of the Senate side, eventually was dropped, but um, had been a, t- a top priority for heritage also recommended uh, limiting drop boxes uh, recommended uh, do not let private groups add their money to uh, to help with voting um, including food and drink um, and any number of, of other items uh, ID for mail-in voting really just the the, the tenants and the architecture of the legislative, process and um, policy in Georgia um, is in that heritage document as well. And you'll begin to see it in other legislatures across the country. This is not a local control, local issue. This is a national control, national issue.
1: Um, Donna, just to pull out a few of these, and I welcome anyone else, including you on the panel, to to point out others that are concerned uh, to your uh, to you. Uh, But here is a couple that really have been uh, focused on Uh, the um, the dropbox issue. Dropboxes now have to be placed inside early voting locations and are only going to be accessible during the hours of early voting. And they have to have someone guarding uh, the box, which could be some uh, feel could be an intimidation factor for voters who don't want to be somehow identified uh, as coming in. Uh, that's one. Uh, the uh, uh, You have to apply for an absentee ballot no later than 11 days before an election. 11 days is a long period of time uh, to have to wait. The No one can send out requests uh, for absentee ballots to voters uh, unless they are asked for. Uh, so these are just some of the measures that people are, uh, on the other side of this, say are all designed not to help more people vote, but to have fewer people vote, Donna.
0: Yeah, that's right. And and the one that really struck uh, a lot of Democrats, I I had one walk up to me yesterday who was just, I mean, she was shaking. She was so upset. And that is the one that deals with Republicans having more authority over local elections boards and being able to step in and replace what they consider underperforming county election boards. And the feeling that there are, you know, first of all, I, I, Fulton County is certainly um, is nervous about this because they're the largest and they've had some problems in the past. But the feeling that in a lot of the smaller counties that this is going to happen, um, that there's going to be this elections board authority that will be able to come in and make changes. Um, That was the one that really struck a lot of people very hard, that that is a really changing, that's a game changer for a lot of them in terms of all of this, that, um, that, that there could really be, that they see that as the ultimate voter suppression in terms of somebody being able to sweep in and make changes because they deem that things aren't going the way they think they should go.
3: Chuck? Donna is absolutely right. Their lo- local election officials are concerned about this. They really, really are. But well, the interesting part this morning, I talked to Senator Randy Robertson, Randy represents Northern Muskogee, Southern Troop, Harris and Mer- Meriwether County seat, formerly held by Josh McCune, very conservative, conservative seat. And this is what Randy said about the changes this morning when I was interviewing him on a Zoom call. Sadly, to say this, I'm afraid that these that these changes that people find uncomfortable, if they want to find where these changes came from and where these cracks in our system were found, that you have to drive within the belt line of Atlanta, Georgia. And I think to me, what Central Robertson said there speaks to kind of. What a lot of the Republicans were doing. This was targeted at Fulton County. I mean, if you look at some of this, and you know, and I think that, and without putting words in the senator's mouth, I mean, that's what he seems to be saying here. Bill?
1: Yeah. Um, Raina, uh, I think a lot of people have cautioned uh, Republicans on this. Be careful um, that you're, you know, uh, passing. Uh, Laws here that in fact could turn around and backfire on you and and Alan Abramowitz a frequent panelist on this show The political scientist over at Emory University has said repeatedly on the show that Republican efforts to uh, As he as he is convinced they're doing to suppress the vote uh, Are never going to win that the demographics are against Republicans in the long run and that what they ought to be doing Alan Abramowitz argues is trying to find a way to reach those new voters that are coming into the system not to stop them from voting. Reina?
0: It's a a changing Georgia. It doesn't look like it did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, It's changing, um, you know, on on racial levels. It's changing uh, geographically. Um, People people of color are moving into the suburbs or have moved already and established lives. Um, And so trying to... um, find a way to control that uh republicans have, have been uh you know less about uh, you know intruding on small local government right and so uh, now we're seeing uh the opposite of that happening um uh so it, it will be interesting to see how that plays out uh here in chatham county we have uh, a split board um split elections uh with only Union County is the only other county in the state that has a Board of Elections and a Board of Registrars, and uh, there's an effort underway to to merge those. And there's state pressure uh, to do that, and uh, the local boards here are fighting against that. Uh, Chatham was one of the last states to finish uh, in the in the runoff election, along with Fulton and Gwinnett and others, which are much larger. Um, and so it, it hits home here this this effort to have um, more local, more state control over the local election boards.
1: Yeah, uh, Patricia, I want to pick up on that, if I may, just for a minute or two, because you already uh, pointed out that one of the things this uh, law now does is it forbids local election boards from accepting grants from nonprofit organizations to help them run their local elections. These are... Often, these are are often election boards that don't have the funding they really need to accommodate all the voters. So they've turned to nonprofits to help them bring in, you know, have money to bring in people or uh, expand what they're able to do. At the same time, Patricia, this new law demands that uh, local election offices have to certify their results in a briefer period of time than the best. It used to be 10 days. Now it's six days. And on top of that, of course, as we've already said, the state now says we can take over your local election board and the way you're running your election if uh, we think you're not doing it well. All of this seems to work against any effort by local election offices to try to figure out how to do the best job possible running their elections.
2: You know, it also puts a lot of new
1: I just lost Patricia. I just lost your sound. We just lost Patricia. Chuck, why don't you weigh in and we'll we'll get Patricia back. I
3: can go back and tell you what, I mean, I'm not sure what Patricia was about to say, but Muscogee County is the poster child for private money coming in to help run elections. The elections office budget in Muscogee County is about $900,000 last year. Muskogee County got more than $900,000, about the same amount as the elections budget, from two foundations, or instance, foundation institutes, the Zuckerberg Foundation and the Schwarzenegger Institute at Southern Cal. Those two organizations pumped hundreds of thousands of dollars into Muskogee. What it did was it prevented the city from having to end up for extra polling places and then it also I mean, and I talked to Schwarzenegger twice about this. And and he is a former Republican governor of California. He was trying he told me he was trying to get the opportunity to vote to more people. He gave money to Randolph County. They went and bought drop boxes <laughs> with the ten grand he gave down there. That was real money in Cuthbert. So when you look at this and you look at what they did what it did. It saved the city and county thousands and thousands of dollars. They didn't have to ante up. And it made voting easier for people in Muscogee County, Republicans and Democrats, because the first three days of early voting, there were lines up to five hours, five and a half hour waits. When that grant money came in and it was coming in during the election cycle, when that grant money came in, they were allowed. To immediately start opening additional place voting places, including one in our trade convention and trade center, those just exi- essentially eliminated the wait. If you waited more than twenty minutes to vote in Skokie County after that money came in, you were in the wrong line, in the wrong place. So, I mean, we're the poster child for
1: that down here. Patricia, I, I think we're, you're back with us. Couldn't you? Why don't you uh, go ahead and make the comments you started to make.
2: I was just going to add that um, the bill includes a number of requirements, new requirements for counties that really will take real money to implement. And especially for the smaller counties, the budget is not there. They're required now to continuously count votes for 24 hours a day. Until they finish the count, um, they are required to use a new kind of special security paper, which will cost more. Um, they're required to do any number of cross references and checks to make sure that no dead people are voting, that you've told everybody who's moved in and out of the county. There are just a lot of requirements on them. Um, and uh, Democrats said, "Where's the budget for this?" And so I think counties are are going to continue to find the new requirements to be probably. Um, quite onerous. Um, and I one extra thing this bill does, it really pulls authority away from Brad Raffensperger. He has been really drained of his power um, as the top elections official. And a lot of that power is now concentrated at the state legislature. Um, and so instead of being the head of the elections board, he's now just a member of it. And um, when if there were another identical scenario with Donald Trump, attacking Georgia's elections, it's hard to know how it would go without a single person like Raffensperger at the top um, fighting against it.
1: Yeah, Donna, when it comes to the additional burdens on the county, the phrase is unfunded mandate. They're going to have to figure out how to pay for this stuff. And they've been denied the right to, again, bring in nonprofits to help them do it.
0: Absolutely. And the big thing that the Democrats were pushing during this, this whole – well, yesterday, over and over again, is where's the fiscal note, uh, especially in the Senate? Um, um, Senator Elena Parent kept uh, pushing pushing for that. They pause, look at it, and say, okay, there's no – we've decided there's no fiscal note noted, uh, needed for this, and we'll – They may go to something else, and they'd say, "Okay, we've we've looked at it. There's no fiscal note, but obviously, there's going to be. um, This is going to be a strain on the a lot of these election boards, a lot of these counties trying to figure out how to to pay for all of this stuff that's now mandated."
1: OK, um, by the way, there have been some federal lawsuits already filed uh, in the aftermath of these, uh, these big bill being signed into law by Governor Kemp. Uh, those will take, we know, a long time to make their way through the courts. But we'll certainly watch as election so-called election integrity groups uh, bring suit against uh, these measures and we'll look at exactly what they're uh, uh, saying is wrong with these uh, uh, uh bills that have become law, and we'll continue to follow that on Political Rewind in the weeks and months ahead, I imagine. Let's get to our final break of the show. When we come back, there's more to talk about with uh, legislative action down at the state capitol. We'll be right back. Patricia Murphy, Donna Lowry, Raina Cash, Chuck Williams, um, a panel of top journalists from across the state joining me for Political Rewind uh, today. Uh, Donna, we talked just a minute ago about the states uh, uh, really uh, inserting itself into local politics in terms of of the control that they are uh, saying they can exercise over local election boards. There's another uh, measure that uh, does the same thing, and, and it's continuing to move forward. That's the bill that would stop any local municipality city or a county from reducing the budget for their law enforcement police forces by more than five percent and it seems and you can weigh in on this and then maybe uh, uh, others of you will have some more specific knowledge that in some ways this is designed to push back against atlanta and athens two cities where the local governments were looking at trying to divert some police funding to social services, to mental health agencies, that sort of thing. But this measure is another example of, you know, Republicans who really have always touted local control are saying, no, the state has a vested interest in in this issue.
0: Yeah, and we've seen a lot of that where um, the Republican Party, during this legislative session, we saw a lot of Republicans push to, to take away local control. And this is one example of this. This is Representative Houston Gaines. Um, bill and it deals with making it it, it, some people have dubbed it the the uh, the anti-defunding police bill um, which makes sure that that, the local police departments that they are not cut more than five percent during uh, a one year or over five year period and so yeah there's been a big push to see that um that, that, that there is uh, that this is a pushback over some of what we saw over the summer where there was um it, 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 there was in some people's minds then the, the mis- <laughs> misunderstood notion that people wanted to actually take away all the money from police departments um but this is making sure that it doesn't happen in a big way and we could we could talk about all the other ways in which there was local control um they tried it the, the, the legislature looked at taking away local control, um, something with um, the, not only election boards, the prosecuting attorneys commission. There was the, the chief labor officer, you know, this way of the Republican Party known for being more focusing on local control and getting away from big government, deciding to have big government. Oh, the, the uh, Department of Health. Um, taking over the public health department, so we can talk about that more later. Not not with uh, the elections, but um, but certainly this bill is another example of the state stepping in and trying to tell yeah. local communities what to do.
1: Uh Raina, it's it's it seems to be, as, as Donna really suggested, a reaction to Black Lives Matter last summer when there were so many people who saying we need to rethink how police forces are funded, maybe there should be a diversion, and then defund the police became such a catchphrase uh, that this seems to be a response to it. And Raina, it also I said the other day. It seems to be in some ways kind of a companion piece to another bill that's still alive down there, which would make it a felony to block a highway during a protest demonstration, which, too, seems to be a reaction to last summer's protests against the police killings uh, that were uh, uh, so prevalent, unfortunately, last summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I can say it any better or differently than Donna did. This is this is clearly uh an effort to uh tighten the reins on uh local law enforcement uh local protesting um rules if you will um, because in in many ways states probably felt like they lost they lost control of the situation you know, and people came out to um to protest and voice and and defunding the police uh just the the phrase alone. Uh, set people back on their heels and as opposed to distributing um, the funds and the budget and spending it in the way that makes sense for their communities um, it would be It would be refreshing to see uh, the state saying, Do what's best for your local uh, community, but that's not what's happening um, because uh, the result of that uh, turned um, not in the favor of um, uh, the political party, the Republican party. And so, but the thing that I would, I would like to bring up is that people are resilient. Uh, People have uh, sort of been suppressed and disenfranchised and uh, have had to fight for generations and generations for their, for their rights, for their rights to protest, uh, for their right to peacefully assemble, uh, for their right to control their own local government. Um, And uh, this, to me, I I can't help but wonder again if this is going to not have the intended effect and uh, quite possibly have the opposite effect in in, uh, forcing people uh, to be more engaged in their political process, more engaged in uh, civil action um, and fighting against uh, these various ways that they see uh, that appear to be Uh, geared
1: towards suppression. Um, Patricia, if I may, uh, I'd like to change the subject with you, um, although it really is pertinent to the conversation about state uh, uh, stepping in in terms of local municipalities. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the mayor of Atlanta, is kind of in the news for two reasons these days. First of all, uh, I think, and you'll tell me if I'm wrong, there was, was something of a surprise when Speaker of the House David Ralston the other day at a news conference said crime is so out of control in the city of Atlanta, and there's no reason to think that's wrong. I mean, homicides have spiked dramatically in the city. Uh, There are all sorts of problems with crime. The Speaker says that uh, legislators have been burglarized, have uh, had other crimes committed against them during the session. So the Speaker now wants to appoint a committee to look at whether the state needs to intervene and perhaps send state law enforcement to the city to try to deal with crime here. So that's one of the ways that Keisha Lance Bottoms is involved in the news. I'd love to have your thoughts about that. And then I'll ask about the other issue.
2: Um, Yes. Well, I think it's a, we've seen the city and the state butting heads a lot this session. There was a huge row over just the, the block of street that runs in front of the Capitol Uh, The state wanted control of it. The city wouldn't give it to them. Um, There was talk earlier on that the state might take over the entire operations of the Atlanta airport if uh, if they felt like uh, the city couldn't do it. Um, The the crime situation is something that really has affected these lawmakers directly. I think they have genuinely found it alarming um and there is not a great relationship right now between uh the city of atlanta and the state in the way that there used to be under governor deal and we've seen these partnerships between atlanta and the state um that went much better than this one's going right now and so um i think the the poor relationship is driving part of this it, people's own experience is driving part of this and reality is driving a lot of this atlanta is really struggling and there has been no proposal that seems like it's going to work. And even the mayor has said, if anybody has any ideas, I'm ready to hear them. And now Speaker Ralston is like, well, great, I'm about to give you some. And so I, I don't know how it could possibly be implemented, but it's another chapter in that, in that uh, standoff.
1: And, and, and Chuck Williams, uh, as I said, there's another way in which uh, Mayor Bottoms has uh, been in the news. Uh, she's in the middle of a re-election campaign. Crime's certainly going to be one of the major issues, if not the biggest issue in the campaign. Uh, Felicia Moore, the president of the city council, has already launched her uh, bid to replace Bottoms. And she's got a video out right now that essentially says we got to do something about crime. But Chuck Williams, Keisha Lance Bottoms is a powerful ally. President Biden is going to hold his first fundraiser uh, since taking the uh, uh, presidency, since moving into the Oval Office, for Mayor Bottoms, who was with him from the very start, never wavered, worked for him in Iowa, New Hampshire, and he is now uh, paying her back in the biggest way he possibly can, Chuck. It sure sounds like that, Bill. And, you know, it's interesting.
3: Didn't we just finish the 2020 election? And it's, I mean, and we're back in it very hard right now. And, you know, I remember when there used to be a pause. There used to be a pause. People could go govern. They could go do what they needed to do. And, you know, and crime's not just an issue in Atlanta. Crime's an issue in Columbus. It's an issue in Savannah. It's an issue in metropolitan areas and some smaller areas around the state. But, you know, we're, we've are we had way too many homicides in Muscogee County this year. And, you know, crime is going to be an issue for local elected officials in the 2022 election. I think you're going to see it shoot up.
0: The
3: t- list of things that are important to voters <laughs>
1: across the state. Donna, D-
0: Donna. Uh, yeah, I, Chuck what Williams. I'm, go I'm ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was going to say, you know, he if if the Speaker of the House can talk about the state, the General Assembly coming in and and looking at the city of Atlanta, the the other cities across the state are you know up for grabs too in terms of anytime there's violence. In their cities, that there's the, the, the possibility that the General Assembly will have hearings about it. Um, so I, I don't know how well that's going to go uh, um, go across uh, with other people. Other, you know, and even though we're talking about the city of Atlanta, I think it affects the rest of the state too.
1: Uh, Donna Lowry, lawmakers, last word in this edition of Political Rewind. We're completely out of. Uh, time. Uh, let me just say very quickly, as long as I pu- uh, put the spotlight on you for a second, Donna, uh, the legislative session, they're off today. They're back for Day 39 on Monday. There will be a Lawmakers broadcast at 7 o'clock that night. They're off again on Tuesday. Wednesday is sine die. Lawmakers will be all over that. So will Political Rewind. So we're looking forward to the last days of the session. Patricia Murphy, Raina Cash, Chuck Williams, and Donna Lowry, thank you so much for being part of the show today. I hope you all out there have a great weekend. We're back on Monday. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy, Wear your mask and go get a vaccine. They really are out there if you, fi- if you can find them uh, one way or the other. Take care, everybody. See you on Monday.